Now, The Interpreter Show, with discussion, debate, and the latest information on all kinds of religious issues and topics. Welcome to The Interpreter Radio Show. Sorry, the (laughs) volume slider was all the way down. (laughs) <laughs> Chris, can you test your microphone? Hello, hello, hello. Yeah. It's it's this one. This one. Yes. Okay. Sorry, we're in uh, new digs here, and uh, we are. <coughs> we welcome you. This is Interpreter Radio Show, put on by the Interpreter Foundation from a, at interpreterfoundation.org, nonprofit organization dedicated to the scriptures, history, and doctrine of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints and related issues and news. We have changed up our format a little. We are still changing it up a bit, uh, but we're going to start tonight. And I, hang on. And I'm sorry I'm not quite prepared here, but I was still trying to get things working. Uh, okay, I'm not finding what I need to find. I apologize. Uh, Martin had told me to make a specific announcement at the start of the show and i'm trying to get there there we go introduce yourselves and the topics for the first hour (laughs) or for the entire show okay here we go (laughs) of course you can tell it's me at the desk this is bruce webster with chris fredrickson who's not nearly as unorganized as i am uh we excuse we excuse martin tanner who uh uh, has come down with COVID and various other things, and as we uh, pray and hope that he recovers soon. Uh, our topics, we're going to have four topics, uh, one roughly one every 30 minutes. We're going to start off with the Come Follow Me New Testament lesson, Prepare Ye the Way of the Lord, that uh, covers Matthew 3, Mark 1, and Luke 3. We will then talk from the... Uh, Institute Manual Answering Gospel Questions, Chapter 5, which deals with pornography. Uh, for the second hour, we're going to talk some about uh, Book of Mormon issues that people raise, and particularly on geography, ge- geography names, and so on. And finally, we're going to cover uh, several topics, including a uh, there was an excellent article just posted this week at interpreterfoundation.org, which we'll be talking about. So with that, we're going to dive right in to Come Follow Me, Prepare You the Way of the Lord. Uh, We're going to be talking about the coming of uh, John the Baptist. Sorry. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that guy. That guy, fulfilling the words of Isaiah. And uh, let's let's just start a minute because this is something the – the Come Follow Me manual talks about there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the synoptic Gospels because they summarize or cover in a relatively sequential arc uh, the life of Jesus. Uh, John had his, his own intent on writing his Gospel. Uh, Matthew is traditionally attributed to the Apostle Matthew. Mark uh, was a follower of Christ. Uh, it's often believed that he is referenced anonymously in the uh, 
in, in Matthew's gospel. He is referenced by name in the Acts of the Apostles. Luke is definitely referenced in the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, and each of the, the – there are actually ongoing debates as to what the respective audiences were for each of these gospels. Luke is one who's most explicit. Uh, Luke and Acts are really two, two sections of the same book. Luke is addressing someone with the code name of Theophilus, which simply means lover of God. And he's basically saying, I want to set forth all the details so you can understand this, which is really the point of the Gospels themselves. Now, a lot of people will make hay about the fact that you have different accounts in the Gospels. You have different stories. You sometimes have Jesus saying different things. Uh, I own probably a dozen biographies of Joseph Smith. No two of them are identical. They all take different approaches. They range from very thin to very, very thick. Rough stone rolling, I'm looking at you. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have different sources they rely upon. They had different intents for their writing. Uh, Some are first-person accounts. You have Lucy Max Smith's history of her son, Joseph Smith. Uh, Some are very scholarly. Some are very intended to be uh, faith-promoting. And the fact that they are not identical and that they don't agree or even necessarily recount the same instance in the same way doesn't mean they are fake or met up or there is something. Or they certainly don't mean that Joseph Smith never existed. It means these are different accounts. This is the same thing we have with Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, Mark's gospel is the shortest and simplest and probably predates Matthew and Luke because they both tend to follow it. Matthew in particular tends to follow Mark. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, there are other incidents that appear in Matthew and Luke that do not appear in Mark. Uh, The most common theory for that is that there was another source or gospel, usually referred to as Q from the German word for source, that both Matthew and Luke were drawing from. We don't have Q. We don't know if it actually existed. But the fact that we have these parallel, in some cases almost identical, stories in Matthew and Luke which don't appear elsewhere, and yet Matthew and Luke differ quite a bit. You can see that just in the coverage of the birth of Christ Mm -hmm. and how different the the two approaches are. Uh, The whole point is you're getting multiple witnesses of the reality of the Savior, of his life, and what he did. So with that, let's dive into this one, which we're talking about, again, the coming of John the Baptist as the— Voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, quoting from Isaiah. And Chris, I'm going to toss it over to you. Yeah, I'll just, um, one of the things that I, when I was studying and prepping um, for this lesson was um, um, the um, uh, argument, which is a good argument, and it's actually correct. It says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ begins with the ministry of John the Baptist. So this is a very important time period in Jesus Christ's life. We're going to begin his public ministry. It's just going to be a short ministry. It's going to be three short years for him to expound his gospel and to gain followers and to 
you know, restore certain priesthood keys and authority to the earth and to organize a church um, rather than the family organization that had existed in many ways in the past. And so this is a seminal time, of course, in the history of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The other thing that I just wanted to emphasize, too, is that although he lives in a Jewish world, and he, of course, is a Jew himself, it's a Hellenistic society in many ways, and it's a Greco-Roman society, and we could spend a lot of time on that. But, um, you know, the time of um, Plato and Aristotle and um, 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 Socrates is past. We have sophists in the Hellenistic world. These are people that are not particularly trying to discern truth. They're just intellectuals that love to argue. And so there's a lot of argument about what is truth, what isn't truth that's going on during this period of time. Um, Jesus Christ is going to be in that world, and it's a Roman world, and the Romans control Judea and the life of many of the Jews. But I think it's also important to understand the diversity of thought in the Jewish world. We talk a lot about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and that's fine, but let me just list some of the groups here that are at play during the time of Jesus Christ within the Jewish community. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, um, the um, Essenes are going to play a role during this period of time. They're, and these people hold very firm, strong, steadfast opinions. Um, the Zealots, the Samaritans during this period of time are going to certainly play a huge role. Scribes, publicans. We have the Sanhedrin. We have the synagogue where people are worshiping now. We have the temple where people go, of course, to make sacrifice. So this is a religiously diverse world. And I think that's important to understand when Jesus Christ is trying to restore his true gospel and that temple, of course, which has added meaning for us as members of the church and the rites and practices that should go on at that temple and how we are going to transition to making public sacrifice of animals as a representation of Jesus Christ offering a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And so it begins here with John the Baptist. He is sort of, we might describe him as a little bit of a wild man. I don't know that he's necessarily a wild man. He certainly lives in the desert, but he's someone who eschews all the accoutrements of life. He is intent on his mission, and his mission is to be the forerunner for the Savior, Jesus Christ. And so worldly goods, worldly dress, worldly wear, none of those things matter to him. And he's very quickly going to attract enemies because of his message and because of his searing indictment of not only the political rulers, but of the Jewish rulers of his day. And so we see all this, and we kind of get a sense of this, because they're going to come when they hear about all the people of Jerusalem. They're intrigued by this individual. This is not a world where there are multiple entertainments and events going on. There's a lot going on. There are festivals. There certainly are holidays. There are all kinds of things that are going on, but nothing like the world that we live in today. So John is quite a draw for people. They want to hear him. They want to see him. They want to listen to his message. And of course, whenever anyone is a leader in a community, in the Jewish community, in the political community, in the Roman world, they're going to be attracted to oftentimes to prevent anyone from usurping their power. And so that's the world that we're located in when Jesus Christ humbly comes to John the Baptist and asks him to baptize him. 
And I love the way that it, you know, and it very carefully specifies so that we've got a time period for this as well. I love also it says here, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. We're not talking here about John the Baptist is out living in the wilderness per se. That certainly is one meaning. But also it's a wilderness that is devoid of spiritual truths. And we live in a world in many ways that is comparable to that. So many people are searching for religious truths. So many people in Jesus Christ's day had turned their back on religious, the, re, the religion of the day. They couldn't find any satisfaction of it, particularly in the Roman and in the Hellenistic world. And so they're seekers and they're searchers after truth. They don't know where to find it. This certainly does make it a good place for Jesus Christ to make his appearance, to preach his gospel. And of course, he's going to begin by teaching the principle of obedience and the necessity of baptism. Now, one of John the Baptist's major messages is repentance and uh, you've you've already heard multiple times because this is this is something I've noticed just within the last five years or so that uh, in general conference talks on repentance they very often uh, go back to the original Greek word that's used here in the New Testament which is metanoeo, uh, meta meaning to change or transform. Noeo means in essence the way you think or perceive the world, and the purpose of repentance is to change us to think like Christ. Now, I happened to get assigned to speaking state conference several weeks ago, uh, and the the interesting topic that the state president assigned me to speak about was to talk about how repentance helps us to renew our covenants. Uh, and that sent me, I, 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 that was interesting. It's not something I'd ever thought of, but what, what I ended up coming up with in a talk is that we, we talk a lot in the church now, especially thanks to President Nelson, about the covenant path. The covenant path is what Christ walked before us. And that's what we see in these chapters. Christ is coming to John the Baptist. He's being baptized, uh, saying, you know, uh, suffer it to fulfill all righteousness. He walks a covenant path ahead of us, so that we don't have to go to Gethsemane and the cross. That's what, that's what he does through his atonement. But what we have to do is we have to repent continually to stay behind him on that covenant path. Uh, and that's the essence of what John the Baptist is saying here. Uh, he's saying, you know, repent, bring forth works, meet. Uh, we go back to... Uh, 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 sorry. Da, 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 da. Go back to Second Nephi, and uh, we have the uh, the great passage about <clears throat> what do you do after you're baptized? This is this is Second Nephi thirty one nineteen and twenty. He says you must press forward with a steadfastness in Christ, having a perfect brightness of hope and love of God in all men. So that's faith, hope, and charity. Wherefore, if he shall press forward, feasting upon the word of Christ, and endure to the end, behold, thus saith the Father, ye shall have eternal life. And one of the quotes I cited in this was from Delbril Stapley, uh, who in turn was quoting a, uh, excuse me, it was L. Tom Perry, who quoted Delbril Stapley from General Conference, saying that by partaking the sacrament, we renew all covenants that we have entered into with the Lord, all covenants that 
when we, it's, it's why the sacrament is such a sacred ordinance. When we come there in a spirit of repentance, we're renewing not just our baptismal covenants, but our temple covenants, our sealing covenants. And that's how we stay in that covenant path. We are, in essence, seeking to walk right behind the Savior. And, of course, John's statement uh, in talking about all this is make straight his paths uh, <clears throat> to, uh, you know, that's, that's we, are, we are to walk behind the way of the Lord. We are to walk in the way of the Lord. The same thing that uh, Nephi says. Chris. No, beautiful, because this is the message. Uh, this is John the Baptist's message. This is the message in the Doctrine and Covenants, in section one of the Doctrine and Covenants. Look at how the Lord characterizes the world that we live in. He says, For they have strayed from mine ordinances and have broken mine everlasting covenant. They seek not the Lord to establish his righteousness. But every man walketh in his own way and after the image of his own God, whose image is in the likeness of the world and whose substance is that of an idol which waxeth old and shall perish in Babylon, even Babylon the great, which shall fall a few verses later. For I, the Lord, cannot look upon sin with the least degree of allowance. Nevertheless, he that repents. You'll hear that word over and over and over again, the necessity of repentance. And walking that covenant path, I think really helpful for us to understand that covenant path is the Joseph Smith's translation here in Luke. So in Luke, Joseph Smith translation 3, 5, uh, there is an exquisite description of the Savior Jesus Christ and this covenant path that he walked. Behold, he shall come to take away the sins of the world and to bring <clears throat> excuse me, salvation unto the heathen nations, heathen nations, to gather together those who are lost, who are of the sheepfold of Israel, yea, even the dispersed and afflicted, and also to prepare the way and make possible the preaching of the gospel unto the Gentiles, and to be a light to, unto all who sit in darkness, unto the uttermost parts of the earth, to bring to pass the resurrection from the dead, and to ascend upon high, and to dwell on the right hand of the Father, until the fullness of time and the law and the testimony shall be sealed, and the keys of the kingdom shall be delivered again to the Father to administer justice unto all, to come down in judgment upon all, and to convince all the ungodly of their ungodly deeds, deeds which they have committed, and all this in the day that he shall come, for it is a day of power. Exquisite description of Jesus Christ and the path that he sets for himself and that he perfectly follows, but the path that he has set for us because of his grace and mercy and atonement that we can follow as well as we take advantage of the opportunity to repent. Another significant thing. Now, the Book of Mormon is very universalist in its discussion of the gospel, uh, that God is no respecter of persons, that he welcomes all to come into him. And a lot of that comes right out of Isaiah. When you read Isaiah, you'll find that the Lord keeps extending promises to the Gentiles as well as to the house of Israel, and that he intends uh, his blessings to be upon the Gentiles as well. Well, by the time of Christ, the, particularly the Pharisees and Sadducees, but the ruling Jews, Jews in general saw themselves as the chosen person, of, you know, people of God, and everyone else was worthless and so on. And there's a wonderful passage right here, and I'm going to read from Matthew 3. It also shows up in Luke. Uh, Matthew 3 calls out specifically the Pharisees and Sadducees and says, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Uh, 
Bring therefore fruits, bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance, suitable for repentance. He's saying, look, you don't get a, a, a pass just because you're of the house of Israel and you're keeping the law of Moses. You need to actually show your repentance. And he says, and think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth forth not, which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Now, that's, a, that's an image that shows up repeatedly. The Savior will use it, talking about the vineyard. It shows up uh, in Jacob 5, uh, that ultimately what matters is the fruit that is brought forth. It doesn't matter the heritage. You do not get saved because you are of the house of Israel or you have a particular heritage. Mm-hmm. What matters is bringing forth fruits, meat for repentance. Uh, we've got about five minutes left on this. Chris. Okay. Um, um, I, I love to, I'm just trying to see where I want to. Um, oh, uh, you know, some of the uh, descriptors here are so powerful and so informative for us. One of the things that we do, uh, one of my favorite um, authors and um, individuals was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer, of course, was a German theologian. He was a Lutheran. Um, he fled Nazi Germany because he, uh, it, at the time of um, Adolf Hitler, because he warned against Adolf Hitler. But then he felt compelled to go back, knowing that he was probably going to his death. And indeed, he did. He was executed by Adolf Hitler. But one of the things that he preached, and I I think that is one of the real confusions in the world today is the notion or idea of cheap grace. And Bonhoeffer is very clear on the fact that there is no such thing as cheap grace. That Jesus Christ, that God the Father gave his son Jesus Christ the best that he had for the salvation of mankind. And Jesus Christ gave his all for the gospel of Jesus Christ as well. And this is what the Savior asks of us. No cheap grace. Grace is available to us, but it doesn't come cheaply and it does come at a cost. And that cost is discipleship. And our path of discipleship is, of course, pretty much follows that path of repentance and, you know, I, I kind of think sometimes two steps forward, one step back, but as we make our way along that covenant path. And so it's critically important that we don't think, as members of the church, the problem in the, among the Jews at this time was that they, that arrogant assumption that being Jewish is enough and that we've participated in these ordinances there enough. But there's little things in here that teach us that there's much more to salvation than just being a member of Jesus Christ Church. Uh, in Matthew 3.11, I indeed baptize you with water upon, this is the Joseph Smith translation, upon your repentance. So baptism is only efficacious if we truly repent of our sins. And then he tells us what we need to do. What do you do? He answered and said, if you have two coats, what do we do to be disciples of Jesus Christ? This is one of Jesus Christ's overriding messages. The great description of Jesus Christ is he went about doing good. That's my favorite description of him. But he says here, he answered and said, he that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. He that hath meat, let him do likewise. There is the Savior 
Matthew's consistent message of being charitable to all mankind. Jesus Christ was baptized by immersion. I have a lovely, very Catholic picture that, of course, was commissioned by the church fathers during the time of the Renaissance, where Jesus is being baptized by John the Baptist with a little cup full of water being poured over his head because people couldn't read back in the day. And so those images taught a powerful message to them. But we understand and we know that immersion is the proper form of baptism for baptism to be efficacious and done by those with proper priesthood authority. And so we see all of these things. We see too God testifying that Jesus Christ is his son and John being the second witness, that law of witnesses that we find in the church today. So here are two individuals testifying that this is indeed the son of God to bring salvation to the world. And it certainly is beautiful preparation for Jesus Christ as he prepares to go into the wilderness where he will encounter challenge, who, who excuse me, where he, where he will encounter Satan who will challenge that very assumption that he is the son of God. So spiritual high for the Savior Jesus Christ to kind of spiritual low when he is so weak and when he is so suffering. And then, of course, that um, interaction with Satan, which which others will talk about. Okay. Uh, That, hang on a second here. I'm trying to... I'm looking at my notes. That ends our first half hour here.